0: Lindsay Rowland. Today, we have two very special guests on our show, Mr. Ariel Doubler and Mr. John Hughes. Ariel is an author and founder of Leader193, a leadership consulting company, as well as a former SEAL and FBI agent. Dr. Hughes specializes in TBI therapy. We are here today to discuss the connection between our two guests and explore Dr. Hughes, his TBI patent therapy, and where it could be of aid in TBI treatment for our military members and veterans in the future. Hello, gentlemen.
1: Lindsey, how are you? Thanks for having us on.
0: Yeah, and we're gonna, John's gonna come in and out, but we just wanna, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about, you have such an interesting background and you're obviously an author. So if you could (laughs) tell us about yourself, we would love to start there.
1: Yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll hit you with the highlights. I'm a 1991 graduate of the United States Naval Academy. From there, I went on to serve on the USS Gila, which is a ship, which was a fantastic tour of duty that I had that I don't speak a lot about for no other reason than it doesn't come up. But from there, I laterally transferred to the SEAL teams where I was a platoon commander for SEAL Team 1, an assistant platoon commander for SEAL Team 4. I had every intention on spending my career as a SEAL, but wasn't to be. I got injured on deployment, medically discharged, I spent a few years licking my wounds in the uh, private sector. And then 9-11 happened, kind of felt that call to duty and got myself medically cleared, joined the FBI, spent 13 years there working primarily international terrorism investigations. I worked some uh, Russian organized crime and gang work. I was on their SWAT team. I deployed, I was attached to the 75th Ranger Regiment as an FBI agent in Afghanistan, where we saw extensive combat operations. And then at some point, I just felt like it was time to go out on my own and talk to people about the thing I'm most passionate about, which is leadership. So I started Leader 193. And now the culmination of my career has happened now to be on this podcast.
0: (laughs) Thank you for that. But I did want to talk a little bit about, so I originally met you through a friend and I, I sat through one of your workshops. It was, it was a really powerful workshop. Thank Can you tell us a little bit about your book? I have not been able to read it yet, but it's mm-hmm. I've heard it's a, a really powerful, powerful yeah.
1: piece. I appreciate that. It starts off powerfully because I give all the bad up front, right? Because the last thing I ever want is for somebody to read the book and all the good things and go, yeah, but did you know this about them? So I just open it up right? And say, look, here's all the downside, but it it really went to my leadership philosophy. So the book is The Process, Art, and Science of Leadership. And, you know, my company, I call it the Leader 193 Way, right? It's leadership through process and wellness. So I developed a process for leadership. So I don't deal with individual problems that people have as leaders. We go through the process. And we always find, oh, that your problem can be solved by going through this process, right? You can identify where the problem is and you can even identify the solution. It sounds a little too good to be true, but it works. And then the wellness portion, right? And a lot of this, you know, leadership through wellness, what do I mean? I mean, how do we keep ourselves mindful? How do we keep our nervous system where it needs to be, right? How do we, are we always not acting on adrenaline? And that comes from a wellness factor. So I go through this process, the leadership process, the wellness aspect of it uh, in the book. I meant it to be very direct, a very clear guide to what I believe and, and how to follow the process. I throw in some what I think are good, interesting stories that validate the points that I make. And that's where we are. And in context of what we're talking about here, what I came to realize was I developed this process because I needed it so bad because of the traumatic brain injury that I had gotten, I guess, back in my days in the SEAL teams, right? So I needed a way to cope with these things that I didn't even know was happening. Now it turns out that anybody can use it. And if you use it without these challenging injuries, it'll send you to the stratosphere from your leadership point. And as Dr. Hughes will attest to, the wellness portion that I went through, you know he told me directly, that probably saved your life right? The things you did for yourself before we were able to go through Dr. Hughes's methodology to heal the brain, you know, and that's, but I'm getting ahead of ourselves. So that's the book. It's gotten good response and, and I'm happy with it and I'm looking forward to following it up.
0: Yeah. And just tell us what does the 193 stand for?
1: Yeah. 193 is just my hell week buds class. So I'm just paying homage to that. And because it was a very special time in my life being in the SEAL teams. I loved it. It's where a lot of my leadership principles come from. And, and it was a special Hell Week class, because we started that class with 200 and ended Hell Week with 10. So, you know, that was one of those, and Hell Week's like in week four or something like that. So of that 26-week program, by end of week four, we were down to 10. So, yeah, it's just paying homage to a good time in my life.
0: Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, the 193. I thought that was very special how you, you know, incorporated that into, into your story. So I do want to go ahead and move on a little bit. So you have been, I would say, blogging or you have, you know, been sharing your story with your TBI journey called My Journey with TBI, The Beginning of the Worthiness. And if you could just talk on that a little bit, because it's very interesting to me and, and you and I have had conversations, you know, offline about this, but I would love to hear for our listeners to hear that story
1: yeah, in, what you're, so, in your journey. Yeah. So look, the, you know, again, TBI being the invisible injury. And when I was really first injured, you know, you go through that medical board, they're looking at me like, I don't think anything's wrong with you because you look fine. And, you know, nobody would say that today, but this is back in 1999, right? So it just shows you where we were. And so you go through these challenges and you just start to think, well, this is who I am. I get angry. I get overly emotional. I don't know how to process things. I make strange decisions and I can't even explain why I made them. And that's when I really started to focus on, you know, you reflect when I left the SEAL team's it wasn't how I wanted to leave them. And when you leave something you love, you begin to reflect on your behavior. And that's kind of where the process was born. And it wasn't my leadership process was born, but it wasn't until I met John by chance. It was at a dinner party. And he was just talking about his passion about TBI. I just shared stories to make conversation like, oh, you know, here's what happened when I was a SEAL. And, you know, he listened and on his way out the door, he said, well, why don't you come in for a brain scan? And I initially thought that's just what doctors say when they're leaving, right? Like normal people say, hey, let's get together for coffee. And nobody ever means it. And you say, oh, sure. And you leave. I just thought was like, oh, that's funny. Doctors say, come on in for a brain scan. But they followed up. And then to make a long story short, he showed me like, no, you have injury. And that explains the challenges that you've been going through. And then all the things you've done for yourself have allowed you not to go into those terribly dark places that people with your injury go to that lead so often to suicide. And now let's heal you. And so it was, when I say it was overwhelming to to learn that I actually had an injury that explained my behavior and that the things that I had done for myself allowed me to hang on long enough till I was fortunate enough to find John. And then he started to heal me. Literally day one or two, there was a noticeable difference. And I just felt compelled to start telling that story. I've only written a couple blogs on it, right? I haven't even really gotten into the meat of it. And the feedback of people just saying, keep telling that story. People need it. They need to hear it from somebody like you with your background. It's been so amazing. So now this opportunity to tell a story, but then to be in a position to truly not just help people, but to be a part of healing people, man, if that's not a story to tell, then I don't know what is.
0: No, oh, thank you for sharing that. I do want to ask you about something that you shared with me that I thought was very thoughtful and interesting. So after you had a brain scan, there's certain blue green areas in your brain. Can you talk on that? Because I, I found that to be fascinating.
1: Yeah. So, and, and again, John's here so he can attest to all because he's the one who, you know, who told me this stuff. So we, you get the brain scan and the technology is pretty impressive and it spits out all these images, you know, right away. And John says, okay, you see this blue area? And I said, well, of course I see it because it's all over the place. He goes, right. He goes, this is the area of your brain that's responsible for processing emotions. And in your brain, it's dormant. It's injured and it's not functioning properly. And that alone was like, okay, there's a reason for this. There's a reason for a hair-trigger temper over nothing important. And there's a reason for me sitting on something for weeks at a time that should have made me angry, that should have been, you know, acted on. And that felt good. I was like, okay, cool. That helps. Thanks. He goes, no, we're not done. See this red part. So I said, yeah, I see the red part. He goes, that means your brain is in alpha state. He goes, alpha state is the most optimal state for your brain to be in, right? It means you are focused, you're aware, but you're calm. I'm like, oh, cool. I think he's trying to give me a compliment. He's like, ah, you're not seeing what I'm saying. And then he goes down to these wavy lines, right? And they're in perfect sync. He says, you see how these are in sync? He says, that's your brain waves and your heart wave. And they're in perfect sync. And that's indicative of somebody who's very mindful and does meditation. So once again, I'm like, oh, great, thanks. He said, no, Errol. He goes, what you're missing is that being in the alpha state and this heart and wave function being consistent is totally inconsistent with your injury. Okay, because normally this injury puts you in, I think beta it was right, your mind's constantly racing, you're constantly in stress. And then you go to these areas of, you know, destitute. And he said, that's when he said to me, he goes, Look, you've saved your own life. By what you've done for yourself. Okay, and that's where I was like, wow, this process really doesn't work. <laughs> but then it was Now, let me take you to the next level. And it's hard to comprehend that. Okay. And I remember I've said, I said to him a couple of times, I said, John, I'm 53 years old. Okay. I I think I'm okay. Why don't we focus on the young folks who really need it? And his response, I'll never forget it. It's the most powerful thing anybody said to me. He goes, but Errol, wouldn't you just like to feel better? And I was like, wow. I was like, you know, I, I would. And he goes, let's do it. Let's do it. Just trust me. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And I promise you the first treatment I got from him, which was the insulin stuff, which John will you know, obviously talk about. I walked out of the office and my wife literally was like, what happened in there? And I go, well, what do you mean? She goes, what did you do? I said, I you know, he put insulin in my nose. I had to do, you know, tilt my head back and it went into my brain. And I said, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. She's like, no there's a different energy in this car right now. And then as the treatments continued on, she would say in a good way, I'm married to a different man. I'm married to somebody else. This is the most exciting thing. And she goes, the energy in this house and the way you are uh, presenting yourself, there's not this underbelly of angst and anger, even though you do the best you can to try to not present that. She goes, it's gone. And so that story goes on and on. And as I continue Dr. Hughes's treatment, it just keeps getting better and better. Like, hey, I never knew what eight hours of sleep felt like. <laughs> okay. You know, and all that stuff. And John will explain, you know, why that happens with brain injuries and why, you know, but that's kind of the impact of my story. And, and again, to be continued, right? We're in the early stages of this. And the second brain scan showed after just a short period he was like, and again, maybe I had a good second, but he's like, okay, the blue, there's not nearly as much blue. And then he's pointing to these areas. Like the first brain scan, you had like five megahertz of energy or whatever it was. And this brain scan in the same area, you've got like 30 megahertz. So like, there it is. My brain is literally healing. And now I can go on and, and, and kind of start reprogramming some things for myself.
0: No, thank you so much for sharing that. And it just, you know, it kind of touches home too, because as you know, I left the military with PTSD and I've had, you know, those issues. I, I do not sleep for weeks at a time. I become irrational about rational things. And mm-hmm. so, so yeah, that story is just very powerful because you wonder, and you know, when he said to you, don't you just want to be happy or don't you just want to live a better you? Wouldn't you just like to feel better? You know? Right. And that is like, if you yes. think about it from someone that <laughs> suffers from PTSD or TBI, like that is real to you that like, I just want to feel okay again. So we have John here, John, can you tell us a little bit, let's go back uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with TBI therapy.
2: Thank you guys for listening. Super honored. You can call me John or Dr. Hughes, whatever you like. I've been an osteopathic medical doctor since 2008. I was trained as a family medicine doctor at the
1: University of Arizona and then ended up moving to Salt, Colorado,
2: which is just outside of Aspen, Colorado, primarily because it's just one of the most beautiful places in the world. You can't be it, actually, Errol just moved ago, And I think it's been amazing for him as well. So my background in traditional athletic medicine, as well as sports medicine in medical school, I started basically learning about what's called proliferative therapy and then regenerative injections, which includes things like dections or um, platelet-rich plasma injections. I saw the bit of those types of procedures with hepatic patients, sports medicine patients, which we have a lot of. I worked on pro skiers, pro athletes, snowboarders, as well as um, many other local pits, PIPs and people like er- Errol's brother-in-law, Sheldon. And that's how I got to know Errol many moons ago, I guess about six, eight months ago now. So very excited to talk to you guys about brain injury and teen. I had a pay. He came to me primarily because he wanted access to using a freestanding hyperbaric change I oversee in Basalt, Colorado. It's one of the three freestanding hyperbaric chambers. What that means is that you don't have to go to a hospital chamber. And he had gotten, this patient had gotten some benefit with the hybrid, but he said, you know, this is good, but it's not enough. What else can you do for me, Dr. Pius? Uh, to him, I said, hey, we can take some insulin and put that in your brain, just like Errol talked about. And, you know, uh, in, instead of just adding insulin, why don't we add it? Some growth factors from your own blood. And the patient agreed to doing that, and he didn't have much to lose. He had come in with noise canceling headphones and basically dark sunglasses. He was debilitated, couldn't sleep for two months. He had thrown away all his mail, and he just basically was very bad in motor vehicle accident. And after we treated him, he had such an improvement. All his doctors started calling me up and said, Hey, we we don't know what you did to this guy exactly, but we want to send more patients to you. And it's just tremendous. So since that time we have, I've had patients just come to my private clinic near Aspen, Colorado from all over the world. I mean, Canada, mostly U S but people call my office or contact me through the web website, TBI therapy pretty much all the time. So, I mean, that's kind of, and that's how I got thrown into this world as a sports medicine doctor, as an expert, I guess, in platelet-rich plasma, and being able to have the honor of treating some vets in the past couple of years, as well as people like
0: Doctor Hughes. Can you talk us a little bit on your the actual TBI therapy and what it does?
2: Are you asking specifics on the protocol, or exactly what each? Kind of effect of the protocol does? I mean, should I break that down for you?
0: Probably the first part would be a good place to start.
2: So the, the, the protocol that we developed over the past several years was what we realized, I mean, I'm, I've known several people in the hyperbaric, I'll just start with this aspect of it. I've known several people in the hyperbaric medicine world and there's a big, big to treat post-traumatic veterans as well as traumatic brain injury patients that, that are vets with hyperbaric medicine. The problem with only using hyperbaric medicine is while some patients get some long-term benefits, there can be some amazing therapy. There can be some, but those, ben- those benefits after about six to eight months. So the military has been very, to my knowledge has been very kind of hesitant about you know, prescribing hyperbaric medicine, they say it's very controversial, even though there's lots of research behind it, as far as improving perfusion, which is blood flow to certain areas of the brain, as well as many other aspects. We realize that hyperbaric medicine, you know, it it would perhaps a little little common in, in a medical setting to do for all traumatic brain injury or PTSD patients, and potentially not the whole picture. So the idea was take hyperbaric medicine as kind of a Core aspect because we know that the brain in a brain injury, this isn't my theory, this is Robert Cantu, a famous neurologist. He says that the brain is in a metabolic crisis in a brain injury. And what that means is it's in an energy crisis. And we all want energy into our brains. What, what is our primary nutrient for making it? And it's using oxygen. So, oxygen is critical for basically everybody. You can eat the best foods, you can drink hydrate but if you're not breathing well you're not helping your brain or any other body part that needs oxygen oxygen is your primary nutrient hands down and if you have brain injury the problem is your brain is working right it's even when you're sleeping your brain is managing your heart rate your hormones you know your blood pressure it's doing all this work so even your brain never sleeps you've got to basically get more energy to that brain so it can both function as well as to heal. So you actually might need double or four times as much oxygen or energy from that to heal. And that's where a lot of doctors really miss both understanding how oxygen therapy, even if it's not hyperbaric oxygen, is so essential for, for prevention And I think that's where many, many doctors have, have misunderstood. But really the, the whole point of this is to explain that What we're doing in a protocol is adding hyperbaric medicine first. And then we're adding other things that improve oxygen utilization or, or glucose utilization. And that's where insulin comes in. It's a very important glucose activator and the fact that it drives glucose inside the cells to where the mitochondria are. When you get glucose near the mitochondria, the more oxygen. What we found with the intranasal insulin, when I put insulin directly into the brain is You can actually improve what's called improved neurogenesis, which is basically the creation of new neurons. You can uh, lower cortisol and you can lower inflammatory microglia. Uh, What we also see is reduction in amyloid and tau tau protein deposition. And those are all big scientific terms, but what it translates out to is better than patients. We wake up neurons that have been sleeping and we basically... Uh, allow the brain to relax what they've seen in alzheimer patients when they've used insulin is significant improvements in balance and word recall in these patients as well as better moods. so if all patients do you know is simply insulin they can get great results but if you look at the core of what we're doing we're improving the brain's energy utilization to help it heal and more neurons to, to be able to fire at the appropriate levels so that's kind of a summary of two aspects of what we're doing. And I can go on and talk for, for hours about this. So you feel free to cut me
1: off.
0: Yeah. I'm going to cut you off just because (laughs) no, that's very interesting. And also like John, Dr. Hughes, you are a doctor. So, you know, we get kind of lost in the doctorism, but I do want to take you back a second. So you have patented this TBI therapy, correct?
2: Yeah. So we threw out the most important protocols for actually helping the hardware of the brain heal. And if you think about the brain as a computer, there's a couple aspects of that, and not to throw out too much, but if you have a computer and you try to run like a program like Windows 10 on an old 386 or a 46 does work, right? Because you've got to make you got to have an upgraded processor. You got to improve the hardware, you got to plug in and it's got to have a little more juice to those transistors to actually make that computer work. Right. So a lot of people start with the software. They try to, oh, let's do these special therapies. Let's do this psych therapy or let's, you know, light therapy or some other kind of reprogramming neurofeedback, which is all cool But my kind of contention is that you have hardware, you have to fix the hardware first. And so the whole pattern of this was, hey, how do we upgrade the process or how to repair that brain that's been damaged as as well as actually you know, give it some more energy. Hyperbarics and the insulin give it more energy. And then as we add the platelet growth factors, those can actually potentially nourish and support the brain tissues that have been injured, and as well as the peripheral blood stem cells that are also inherent in everybody's blood. So the patent basically is the whole protocol, as well as the device and the, the methodology and the formulation is put together. And the reason we did that really is just we were the first people in the United States to actually use these growth factors directly. And it's really just to protect TBI therapy from, you know, people that claim that, you know, they were the first ones to do this. So that's really why we put this pattern together.
0: No, that's very interesting. Thank you for shedding some light on that. And then also I wanted to talk into depth about Ariel's case. He was talking about the TBI brain scan. And if you could just like shed some light on that, he already did, but it's just so fascinating to me. Yeah, so the the Wadi
2: scan is what he's talking about is a brain scan, and the challenging thing with unless it's a injury, you're not going to see it on a CT or an MRI, you know. Uh, and the problem, I mean, a PET CT would would actually see the or uh, diffusion weighted MRI or diffusion tensor MRI. But very seldom are those done in the ER or setting or even an outpatient setting because most doctors, even neurologists don't have an idea, of, you know, how to look at these types of MRIs. So they're just not done very much. So in an ER, let's say you injure your head and oh, they're going to do a CT or your head. Oh, you don't have a bleed. So you're good. You're fine to go. There's no real brain injury. And that's a very common incident. I would say, can't, I'd say nine out of 10, 10 times occurs in ERs around the country. But what we know is brain injuries, unless it's, affecting the white matter unless what you get what's called axonal shearing not to go into much medical terminology but unless you get a very severe injury you don't see it on MRI or CT so they're fine and doctors think they're fine they tell the patient go home and rest which the brain never rests so the patients are are still suffering and and months later they're like wow why am I still suffering because the doctor said I'm fine and what we realized is we needed a better diagnostic tool and a few specialized MRIs as well as uh, specialized types of CTs. But in order to obviation to, to do, and also to get something that's very easily done in the office, we use something called a Wabi scan. Now, Wabi's been around for a few years now. They're based in Boulder, Colorado. I got to know them um, through one of the, the former owners of the, the Croc company, Siemens. His brother actually helped the Croc Sandal, if you ever remember those shoes. But he introduced me to the the guys that developed that. And for me, as a kind of brain injury guy who wanted to understand more about what was going on with the brain, I thought, wow, wow, this is an amazing diagnostic. What they're doing is they're looking at an EEG scan and you can say a quantitative EEG. And they're actually doing something that's a very proprietary technology to look at the actual amplitude of the voltage between the sine waves brain is responding to a certain type of sound frequency so the the brain when they do these and Errol can explain what exactly happened to him if he wants but they'll play a certain number of sounds that the brain is responding to and then they'll play an abnormal sound or a different pitch sound and the brain has to respond and how quickly that brain can respond and how much voltage change occurs with that new sound that new stimulus in the environment gives us an idea of how much what degree of uh, functionality is going on in certain areas of the brain because the patient will have leads around the brain as they would with any EEG so I'm not going to try to explain all the technical aspects of this feel free to get on the website if you'd like to learn more but they've been very instrumental in creating this voltage-based brain scan is it, mostly a prognostic tool see progress. And I think they're trying to ultimately get it as a baseline scan that we can start to screen high school kids or other athletes before the injuries baseline is.
0: And is there a place our listeners can find your website?
2: Sure. Yeah. TDI therapy is.com is the easiest one to look on. There's, there's a form that can help me understand before I even talk to patients. If, if, if it's some condition that I can help at, at this stage, keep in mind, I'm not an acute care setting. I don't treat patients who are acutely been injured from brain injury. I want them to go to the hospital, respect so many of the hospitals like Craig hospital or Colorado and many of the others around the country that treat these patients in acute settings. When patients are stable enough to come away from the hospital then and, and the, potentially they're hitting a plateau on their recovery, that's when TBI therapy can really help.
0: All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. I want to like, take it to to the next topic. So the three of us kind of became teamed up a little bit because Ariel told me about your story and what work you are doing and the work that he's doing underneath your TBI therapy. And so we're um, planning to do some lobbying on the Hill to see if, you know, maybe DOD or the veterans affairs was interested in looking at your TBI therapy. And I did a little research and I don't, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I can't talk on exactly what they do to treat TBI therapy in the VA, but I just wanted to ask both of you, this is a question for both, like, where are we hoping to see this TBI therapy going? What are we hoping? I mean, I know what we're hoping to do with lobbying, but I'm curious about your passions and where we hope to see this therapy end up in helping military and veterans.
1: I mean, I'll start and, you know, for as much time as I've spent with John, I just learned a ton there because I've talked to fighters, you know, just briefly about this and they've said to me, oh, I've had a CT scan. I'm fine. And I always thought, well, how is that possible? Right. And now I know (laughs) because that doesn't tell the whole story, but I digress. My company is around accountability and leadership right? It's what I do. I set I set forward a process, people follow it, so on and so forth. And as me and John were discussing, you know, one of his challenges is keeping his patients accountable to the things that he's asking them to do to continue uh, their recovery. And, you know, he said, well, that's kind of my challenge. And, and then he asked me, well, what do you do? How-? And as we began to talk, right, everybody wants to get together and work with somebody else and and have it be great. And I've had these conversations so many times that I'm very conscious about fitting a square peg in a round hole. If it doesn't work, I don't see it. You know, now I kind of walk away, you know, thanks. I don't think this is going to work. Our combination between his treatment and then my ability to hold people to account to certain things is a perfect fit. So what we came up with was what are we looking to promote? We're looking to promote a full scale, Treatment to get people better, not just to help the symptoms, but to get people better. And that's kind of the combination that we're bringing to it. So, you know, look, what are we looking for? You know, as far as uh, maybe this is speaking out of term, but right now, as we look at Congress and the things that they pass bills for to help people, and we're saying we've got a full beginning to end soup to nuts protocol to heal people. Okay. And what we need. Our people, right? We want to we want to put ten special operators, right? Either current or former, through our full treatment, and then show and say, "Look, here it is. Here's how it works." And for that, we need some funding, right? So it's basic. We need money. We need people. Okay, John could do this on his own through his practice, and I could do my part through my practice. But to combine the two for that greater cause, okay, of truly saving lives, not just what I initially was like, wouldn't you like to feel better? That's a given. Now we're talking about saving lives. And in my mind, that's the bigger picture. That's the altruistic view of what we're doing. And John, if I've gone too far, I apologize, but that's my view.
2: (laughs) You know, I think, Errol, so passionate. You're such a good podcaster. I love your story. It's great. Because for me, you know, you tell this story like it's like the most miracle in your life. And I get patients like you, you know, for me, I'm going to work every day. And this is what I do. And it's so awesome to hear your story because it almost makes me tear up because I'm like, wow, my life maybe has some meaning. helping out. I looked at it just kind of doing something that, you know, I was tinkering around in the old clinic with. So it's phenomenal to hear your story. And I think the long game of this is you know, a brain injury doesn't heal overnight. And anybody that says, hey, you know, I, I've healed my brain, and you know, that was a month later, they probably aren't, they're not healed yet. And, and even if it's like a mild injury, brain is incredibly resilient, incredibly years after their injuries, but it does take time. And and when I do the, the intranasal peripheral blood stem cells, which are all naturally occurring, we just concentrate those out of the plasma. We're not manufacturing any of these. We, we we know that they take about four months before they're going to fully mature these these pluripotent little stem cells that are in the blood so on their hemopoietic cells as well as something called you know cells on blastomary like very small embryonic stem cells but beside that we know that it takes time to heal and i think what i do is i get to be able to see the patients maybe i get to follow up with them a month later but i get to see them intensively and then Sometimes I never get to see them again. I mean, a lot of my patients fly in, I see them, and then they're gone. And having somebody like Errol who can follow up guys, hold them accountable, bring them back for, you know, weekend retreats, talk about in group sessions, hey, you know, what's going on? And also in the brain world, the guys that end up, and it's 22 vets a day, um, that pull the trigger are the ones that have no hope. If we can give them something to live for and look forward to, you know, it,
1: it, it's amazing. And that's where having a motivator like Errol could really be phenomenal for adding to this program.
2: But yeah, I mean, that's where I see treating these patients in a very realistic way in group therapy as well as individualized settings set, can be very helpful. And I think the long game is, you know, our, our goal, our motto of TBI therapy is to leave no TBI untreated. I think the, the goal is to really, Change the, the SOPs for the VA or the active military or, or even you know private insurance companies. This protocol is the best thing. And I'm not trying to be biased. I've just I've looked at everything over the past seven to ten years. that's out there, and I try to make this the most succinct protocol that can be replicated anywhere around the world on the battlefield on the football field. And that's this is where I see using the intranasal therapies, especially in combination with some of the other dietary and nutrients and some of the hyperbaric medicine, those are all adjunctive, but using these therapies in the the right fashion, I think can really save lives. And the earlier in general, we can get to the patients the better off. So, I mean, that's where, I mean, if I have a passion about this, Lindsay, it's how do we take this? Because the standard, I'll I'll give you upfront, like about five years ago, six years ago, I was offered an opportunity to interview for a job to be one of the TBI veteran doctors in Alaska. And they wanted me to fly up there and go live up there. And I was like, well, what do you want me to do? And they said, hey, we want you to do these standardized, you know, operating procedures. <laughs> and I was like, well, what are they? And they sent them all these. And I was like, well, you're just treating the symptoms. And treating symptoms of TBI with a bunch of polypharmacy, you know, pharmaceuticals is not the answer. And the, the patients know it. I mean, they might have access to every drug in the world. And they're taking Adderall. They're taking, you know, to get out of bed and they're taking trazodone to go to bed. I'm like, well, you're pushing the gas and you're, you're slamming on the brakes. At the same time, anybody that has been in this, and Ambien is another one that's been in this, knows exactly what I'm talking about. And a lot of them, they end up drinking or turning into recreational drugs. And you know, I don't blame them, I mean, in many ways, because those drugs, in some ways, I mean, cannabis, for example, I mean, in Colorado, where it's legal, it's so much better in some ways than many of these pharmaceutical drugs. I'm not trying to knock the pharmaceutical companies or any of the doctors that are prescribing these, However, I do think SSRIs are very deadly for brain injuries. They're not approved for brain injuries. and Anybody that's giving SSRIs is really, for brain injuries, is putting these patients in jail. And and the, the deal is, this is not just a psychological issue. I mean, if you're suffering from a brain injury... It's like you're being held underwater. You're not got enough energy. It's like you're swimming across the English Channel, and every once in a while, somebody's holding you underwater. Like, you know, you might get a breath for, you know, a few seconds, and then you're getting held underwater. So everybody's going to be anxious or depressed or angry. I mean, that's what's happening in your brain. It's like you're suffocating. So anybody that says this is a psychological issue first is delusional. In many ways, the the psychologists, the psychiatrists are all over brain injury. This is not a mental health. It's purely a mental health issue. It starts with a neurologic insult. And if you don't correct that, you're never going to go down the path of healing psychology as well. So, I mean, I got a little passionate about that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) No,
0: please. That was beautiful, Dr. Hughes. Like, thank you for sharing that. Did you have something to
1: say? Yeah, I I do. You know, just to jump on that, right? He's being a medical professional and say, I'm not knocking the pharmaceutical companies. Well, I will. Okay. I will too (laughs) right (laughs) Right there with you. Because all of a sudden that's the cure, a drug, you know, and John, I'm not even gonna try to say what he just said because it was so passionate and it made so much sense, right? But one of the things, just to again, what is that consistent approach? Okay, so here's again where John's angle is it's patented, it's it is what it is. He's healing brain. Okay, but then what are we doing? We are staying with those patients for an extended period of time. They are signing up for the long haul because understand this too, as the brain works, there's a certain wiring that happens. Okay. And if you have now spent X number of years wired a certain way because of of the injuries in your brain, you're still going to have that wiring. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start changing that wiring with, again, the back end, you know, Leader 193 does, because now I speak to it directly, right? My process around leadership and behavior and things like that, in my mind, is tried and true now, because I'm the living example of both ends of it. So we're going to help people heal themselves through John's stuff. There's going to be a challenge for them to get their arms around the fact like, oh, my God. I am a different person. I'm thinking differently, but yet I'm so used to being depressed. I'm so used to being anxious. I almost don't know uh, how not to anymore. And that's a whole nother back end of this thing. And that's to John's point. We can't really help people do that until their brain is healed. (laughs) Right? And that's what John's doing. So this very comprehensive approach, okay, around helping people, it's what it is. It is a full comprehensive approach and to John's point, beginning with the healing. And yeah, non-pharmaceutical. I'll say it out loud. Well, don't get yeah. me wrong. Oh, I, ahead,
2: I am Jeff. using a pharmaceutical drug. I am using a pharmaceutical-made drug for recombinant DNA that we all have in our bodies, insulin. So mm-hmm. I don't want to knock the pharmaceuticals. There is a place for those in the appropriate use. But... I look at these veterans or I look at other patients and they might have five or 10 drugs they're taking. I'm like, why are you taking this? You know, is it really helping you? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> it's really unfortunate because I, I think the doctors don't know what to do. And the patients don't know what to do with all the drugs. And I think that the drugs end up making them much, much worse potentially. So that's my concern on that, on that side. There, there is a way to actually get better. And I don't make any claims on healing. I don't like to go down that path. The patient heals himself, the divine nature and power of whatever happens, does the healing, but we just give energy to the brain and we give them the growth factors to help the brain heal. It's, it's not rocket science. It doesn't have to be that sophisticated. It just has to be done in the correct way. And that's really past seven, eight years. The work I've done is kind of figure out how to do this correctly. So
0: yeah. And to kind of go back to what Ariel was saying, like, I'm going to jump on his bandwagon because, you know, when I, <laughs> right, I'm gonna, an ultimate professional right now, I am gonna, like, <laughs> I'm going to like, I'm going to jump on you. I'm going to float in that boat with you. Um, when I got out, I received gabapin, Ambien, lithium, like so many drugs and I just found myself not to be myself. And I'm not by any means on this podcast promoting, like getting off your drugs. But what I'm saying is that for me, this is like Lindsay Roland, is that working out, eating healthy, seeing my therapist every week, having support with my family has become that better drug for me. And so for me to be, I mean, I could pop pills all day on Gabapen, but it made me angry. It made me upset. And so I just, yeah, I just want to say that like, I'm re- I'm really excited to, to hear about this TBI therapy where it doesn't really involve these like heavy drugs. And I watch my current soldiers getting out of the military now and they're put on this dose of um, pills and, you know, it's worrisome, but again, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not promoting stopping your medication, but. And
1: if I can just interject, right. You saw the back end, right? What you went through was the modern version of what's happening. When I got injured, I went into the medical board and they looked at me and they said, you look fine. What are you even here for? So imagine that end of it, right? So what we've gone from is you have a head injury, but I don't really see anything. You should be good. And, but on your way, like, okay. And then, you know, what's happening now? Like, okay, here's a string of medications. Now, again, John, this is why you have Dr. Hughes is out there to to tamper the enthusiasm that you and I have, and say, "Well, hold on a second, you two, I got you." But here's, you know, the doctors, and this is right, and you know, he's doing his job. But I, I promise you that there's people listening to this that are going, "Yeah, I hear what Doctor Hughes is saying, and he's mm-hmm. right." But Absolutely. I hear whatever I hear whatever Lindsay are saying too.
0: <laughs> but I kind of, I, I kind of feel like we're saying the same thing. It's just in a, a different roundabout way.
2: Yeah, we're, I don't we're, know, all, do- we're all on the same team. I'm a mostly natural medicine doctor. I mean, and, and I want, I don't even want to call it that. I'm a Hippocratic doctor. I want to do the the most good with the least harm, right? So, I mean, that's the goal of, of any medicine. But in general, medicine is a big business in the United States. So, you know, we kind of have to overcome that. The problem with TBI is there is not a good drug for T- any TBI. I mean, really, and, and anybody that is even in medicine knows that. This is not... a you know, this is not me trying to promote some kind of alternative protocol. I wish there was a great drug and I'd probably prescribe a great drug if it didn't have too many side effects for TBI, but there really isn't a great drug. And I think, you know, like I said, the best medicine that I've seen is oxygen therapy and some of my intranasal therapies. The great thing about oxygen therapy, and I'll just explain a little bit more about hyperbaric medicine. And, and it's interesting because with oxygen therapy, you can have too much oxygen and what that means is you end up stressing anybody ever like heard of free radicals or, or oxidative stress? well basically if you push somebody in a hyperbaric chamber or you go make them run too hard let's say i i told errol i was like errol i want you to go run sprints around the track and that's going to help your brain injury well he might get more oxygen to his tissues and he might help his brain a little bit but he's also gonna he's gonna stress his brain too much by going into that kind of oxidative hyperoxygenated state so doing oxygen therapy has to be done at the appropriate rate and what we've actually found is even home hyperbaric chambers or home chambers uh, um, and this is still being kind of in, in the literature kind of where we're working on this have had j- almost just as much success as going to a medical facility and what that means is hyperbaric oxygen when you get in a home facility you're getting five to six times as much oxygen as you would normally inhale and what we found is even just a soft what we call a soft chamber it's not even hyperbaric oxygen but it's just a home chamber is fda approved patients can use those and they can have great success even if they don't have access to a medical facility where they can go on a regular basis so the other thing about that's beautiful about hyperbaric oxygen for every hour you spend in there the hy- the oxygen that gets compressed into your tissues actually stays at a higher what's called partial pressure, or a higher concentration in the blood, in the brain tissues, in the lymphatic tissues, it stays higher. So in that sense, if we can get patients using a little bit of oxygen, using things like insulin therapies and, and some of the nutrition that actually helps them basically make energy, then I think we can go a long ways at actually helping the soamene. In a sense, those are prescriptive things. Oxygen is a drug. So I don't want to throw that out there. that We're not using drugs. I mean, (laughs) but it has to be done correctly and and under the right kind of, you know, supervision. Too much of a drug, whatever it is, is always dangerous. So too much oxygen. I mean, our biggest source of free radicals in, in our brains is our own mitochondria. So this is why it's when you heal from a brain injury. It's not something you just snap your fingers and a month later you're better. It's going to take, it's just, it's not a sprint finish. It's a, it's an endurance race. It's a long, slow, but steady consistent marathon and all the neuroplasticity and the rewiring that has to occur, especially the older the injury is something that, you know, really can, can be best, you know, helped by having a coach like, like somebody like Errol or somebody that knows what they're doing with this and, and not trying to function too quickly letting the brain have time to heal and, and, and really setting up that kind of scenario. So I just want to give anybody that's listening to this, Hey, it's, we're really promoting kind of the best use of certain and maybe getting away from some that, some that aren't working as well.
0: Well said. And I just want to uh, thank both of you for being on the show today. I do. Well, number one, I'm really grateful that we have a lobbying effort together. I think that, you know, we're going to work forward on the things that we're going to do in the lobbying realm. And so I'm grateful for both of you. But I just have one other question because, you know, we have such a huge like veteran suicide problem. And I, I do think many times these suicides result because of a TBI problem that was not helped or not medicated correctly. So could you just speak on what you think? Is this possible that this therapy could help, could stop suicides?
1: John, why don't Everybody you jump to on to that. Well, look, my my answer from what I've gone through is yes. Okay, because again, the things that I went through, the things that I had to contend with around emotions, around those really dark periods in your life, I consider myself extremely lucky to be able to have found the path I did until I found John. And John was the first person to say to me, you know, you could have gone down some really dark places, okay? And I did, but not as dark as the other people right who are ruining their lives with the drugs, with the alcohol, just bad relationships, not knowing how to manage and process their emotions and then making bad decisions based on that and then ruining their lives. And then ultimately the ones who take that unfortunate next step and say, I just simply can't handle it anymore and then put a gun to their temple or whatever else they do. So from my experience, what I know to be true before uh, I met John, before I started doing the things I did for myself. And then after I met John and went to therapy, my answer is a resounding yes. Not just a couple of people, but I would say everybody who jumps in on this thing, we're going to be able to help them out of that darkness.
2: Yeah. I'd love to make a comment on that. Just to be, not to chew my own horn too much here, but just to give you an idea in Colorado, which has a, a less oxygen in the environment. When I say oxygen, that means people's brains have less energy at certain points, you know, unless they've been able to kind of adapt to this environment. There's actually three times the rate of suicide at, at, of patients at living at sea level. Uh, and these are just well, a, a, a random population study. What we have found is that if we start giving more oxygen or somebody moves to a lower altitude, so they have more oxygen in their environment, they actually have more serotonin in their brains. So and this is stuff that's been done out of, I think, the University of Utah. Really fascinating stuff. If you get on my website, there's a, there's a great PowerPoint on serotonin. But well, what we know is that patients with adequate levels of serotonin in their brain actually are much more copacetic and much less likely to commit suicide. And so I think if what we're doing is similar to that, then I think we've got a pretty good chance of helping patients improve their own brain's health have better moods, have better serotonin. We know that if you take a random person, you take an oxygen mixture and normal oxygen is about 20%. And if we take for 15 minutes and have them breathe a 60% oxygen mixture, just sitting on the couch, for example, with an oxygen concentrator or an oxygen mask, they will actually have about, I want to say about three times as much serotonin upregulated in their body. So you take a, a patient who gets, a lower who has a lower serotonin or doesn't have any serotonin, you give them oxygen will potentially give you much much more of a copacetic feeling. What do they, what do they do when you first go to the ER if you have anything? They put you on oxygen and calms your brain, calms you, and puts you in a relaxed <laughs> right. So, if we're giving patients that same kind of therapy and in, in a much longer term and helping their brain heal and potentially increasing more serotonin in their brain. Then I think we've got a really good chance of preventing more suicides in the military long term. So it's ultimately giving patients hope. I mean, keep that in mind. If you don't think there's a way out of this, and if you don't think that, that and you don't have a coping mechanism, which you did, Errol, but if you don't think that that anything can help you, and you feel like you're suffocating, or you feel like you're angry, or you feel like like there, there there's no support. For getting you better, and you're just miserable, or you're not sleeping well. I mean, gosh, if I don't sleep well, I feel suicidal. I mean, not <laughs> that much, but like, if and they've proven that. I mean, if you want to create a mental health disorder in someone, keep them up for three days. I mean, don't let them sleep, I mean, and everybody's going to be a little cranky and pitchy and just about to bite your head off. You know, hold somebody underwater for three minutes, right? <laughs> Unless they're a cop and, and adapted to that, yeah, we're all going to fight back. And fight ourselves we're gonna fight everybody around us it, it it's just part of the, the the natural mechanism of just trying to survive I and mean, when we get exhausted from that when we run out of like the ability to fight and then i think we just give up and that's just the human animal nature of all of us so i i hope we can let people know there's hope and that's the biggest aspect of this
0: Yeah. Thank you again for sharing. I just, I want to conclude this podcast. I think gentlemen that we've really covered a lot of things and even like just listening to both of you, I've learned so much. So thank you for being here today, but I wanted you both to have a chance to like give last minute thoughts.
1: Well, I think it's hard to expand on what John just said around giving people hope towards this. And hope is such a powerful drug, if you will. If people believe, if they can hear me, right? And I get, you know, me and my background, oh, former Navy SEAL, an FBI guy, combat vet. Well, you can go through all this, Errol, because you're one of those special people. No and no, okay? Because all the same challenges that I had, they're just not out there. And I'm going to put them out there, okay? And I'm going to let people know we all go through this. And yeah, Dr. Hughes offers hope. And and that's my final thing to push this forward. That's my final message. So, right. As we do our lobbying effort, you know, are y'all hearing this different long-term approach, non-pharmaceutical to the degrees that John is comfortable saying that, right. But we all know what we mean by that. So let's get the process going. Let's say, here are the people, here are the funds and now let us prove it on a larger scale because we've got the small scale and we know we'll do it on a big scale.
2: Yeah, thanks so much, Errol. I mean, I, I think the biggest challenge for, I mean, I talk to patients from all over the country and the challenge is I'm just one guy. You know, my, my goal not only is to get more patients and help them get funded potentially from insurance companies or the military or other institutions, nonprofits, But also to have them have other doctors be be able to do this around the country or have military doctors be able to do it on the battlefield. Because if we can help these patients sooner, the better and keep them going from destroying their relationships or not having good memory or losing their IQ, then I think, you know, I I think we've got a long a, a system in place that can actually, you know, save so many lives preemptively. And that's really the long game, I think, in this, is to attract enough attention from either, you know, institutions or the, the, the government that can say, hey, you know, wow, what we've done in the past is not working. It's time to do something that actually really does work. And really, that's what, I mean, I think Errol and I are on this show to help draw that kind of attention to, to really show that, hey, we have something that can really help, help long term with these many, many patients that have TDI.
0: All right. Well, thank you gentlemen so much for being here. And uh, we look forward to our work together and what you guys are both doing individually with your professions. And just again, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Lindsay. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Lindsay.